Okay, what I'm going to do in this paper is to uh, review uh, some recent work on the moral responsibility of psychopaths, uh, work which turned on um, uh, the claim that psychopaths don't have moral knowledge and therefore ought to be excused on that basis, uh, a debate in which um, I've been involved. Uh, and then I want to uh, sketch some arguments against that view, um, which set the stage for a new move in the debate. And the new move isn't attempting directly to respond to those arguments. Uh, so, you know, the dialectic is, I claim psychopaths don't have moral responsibility because they lack moral knowledge. Other people say, well, there are alternative routes to moral knowledge and alternative accounts of what moral knowledge consists in. And rather than saying, well, uh, we ought to continue to believe that psychopaths lack uh, moral knowledge for the following reasons, what I'm going to do is try to do uh, an end run around those arguments, change the subject slightly, and say, regardless of whether psychopaths count as having moral knowledge, we ought to excuse them on the grounds that their uh, intentions don't have the right kind of content that could underwrite uh, full-blown moral responsibility. Uh, their intentions are such that at very least their moral responsibility ought to be uh, significantly mitigated. Okay, that's where I'm going. Uh, some introductory words about psychopaths. So psychopaths um, are not the serial killers on Dexter, uh, although there may well be psychopathic serial killers. Uh, psychopathy is thought to have population prevalence around 1%. Most psychopaths will never kill anyone. They are uh, persistent wrongdoers nevertheless. Uh, often engaging in relatively petty habitual crime. They're said to have, this is a diagnostic criterion, a parasitic lifestyle. They, they uh, live on, uh, on others and they can be quite good at conning others. Although uh, another uh, common stereotype is that they are criminal geniuses, they uh, do tend to have average or better intelligence, uh, and that is they can have better uh, than average intelligence, they tend to have average intelligence, so intelligence tends to be distributed around the mean, uh, but they don't tend to be uh, criminal geniuses uh, because they're highly impulsive and they have great difficulty in carrying out plans. They are responsible for a disproportionate amount of crime. So despite the population prevalence, the highest estimate I've seen is 1.5%. Um, the prison population has, is around a third, or perhaps a bit more, uh, psychopaths, um, as measured by the psychopathy checklist, which is a, one of these, you know, can be used as a self-report kind of measure, but it correlates very well with objective measures. Um, now, psychopaths don't seem to be impaired on um, many standard neuropsychological uh, uh, tests. And it's very common to respond to them that they are simply bad people. They're not mad. They don't have uh, a. They don't have recourse to a not guilty by reasons of insanity defence. They're just. Um, they're just bad. And indeed, many mental health professionals uh, find themselves very frustrated uh, dealing with psychopaths and respond to them as they as they would to uh, just to someone who is well, let's say, an asshole. Um, and some of them have concluded that's what psychopaths are, basically arseholes. Um, now, so that raises, given the fact that they're responsible for a disproportionate amount of crime, including a reasonable amount of violent crime, I should mention that psychopaths are distinctive 
in that they resort to violence quite readily. So uh, uh, criminals use violence, you won't be stunned to hear. Psychopaths are not the only uh, class of criminals that use violence, but psychopaths are distinctive in that they have no uh, real inhibition against violence. They use violence when they see it as instrumentally rational. Most violence is reactive. People respond to provocation. That's all what they see as provocation. They lose control. It's the most common etiology of violence. Psychopaths don't lose control. They use violence because they see it as a means to an end. So, they're committing a disproportionate amount of crime. They don't seem impaired. Are they morally responsible? Um, there has been a long-running debate in moral responsibility turning on the psychopath, or at least turning on someone who might count as a psychopath. Um, uh, this was a debate, oddly enough, in metaethics, which ran from the 50s until late 80s, essentially, the debate about uh, motivational internalism. Uh, it was claimed by some philosophers that there was an internal constitutive connection between moral knowledge and being motivated to act accordingly. So it was a conceptual claim, conceptual truth, <coughs> that if you believe that it's right to X, you are at least somewhat motivated to X. And people cited the existence of the amoralist, or the psychopath, uh, sometimes as evidence against that claim, but you know, somebody's modus ponens could be another person's modus tollens. It could be cited as evidence that the psychopath lacks moral knowledge. The argument is, if you have moral knowledge, you are motivated to act in accordance with it. Psychopaths uh, are not motivated to act in accordance with moral claims, therefore they lack moral knowledge. The most recent version of an argument along these kinds was Adina Roski's paper on uh, not psychopaths but acquired sociopathy, uh, ventromedial prefrontal cortex damage. She, she showed that uh, they don't um, give behavioral signs of motivation, they don't give a galvanic skin response in uh, response to various moral claims, and she said this shows that internalism is false, but you could have used the argument to show that they lack moral knowledge. Um, now, I don't find <coughs> that debate a very promising way of proceeding. Uh, I thought it was far better to cite data uh, about psychopaths and their uh, competence with moral claims in order to test whether they had uh, moral knowledge rather than, than uh, run this debate which turns so centrally on people's intuitions. I just don't know what my intuitions are about things like that. So what I aim to do in earlier work uh, was to support the conclusion that psychopaths lack moral knowledge using data about psychopaths rather than my intuitions. I use data about the moral conventional task and psychopaths' performance on it. So let me tell you about the moral conventional task now. Um, this is uh, a task that's been used for nearly 40 years now, mainly to study moral reasoning and moral concept acquisition in children in normal children. And there's a huge amount of data uh, on the moral conventional task now. There's a lot of cross-cultural data. There's, anthropologists have used it uh, studying other cultures. Uh, there's data on, for example, Amish teenagers in the United States. Uh, there's data on autistic children. Um, and there's data on psychopaths as well as uh, sociopathic children. This is the moral conventional task. Um, I'll, I'll give it to you in its version used to uh, study the acquisition of uh, concepts in children. So children reliably acquire knowledge of norms. Uh, by the age of uh, three, they are competent with to pick out norms. So you can ask them, uh, is a certain behavior wrong? Um, and they give you answers which reflect the, the status of that norm in the behavior, in their, their culture. Obviously, you've got to pick out 
appropriate norms. Don't ask them about the tax code. Presumably they're not going to know that. But if you ask them about everyday kinds of wrongdoing, then children can tell you whether their certain uh, acts are uh, um, wrong or not. Um, so if you ask them, is it wrong for Billy to wear a dress to school? And I'm using this as uh, uh, because it is in fact common uh, prompt in the moral conventional task. Children will tell you, yes, it's wrong. Um, uh, if you ask them, is it wrong for Billy to hit Jimmy? Then children will tell you, yes, it's wrong. Now, they show competence with the moral conventional distinction uh, if they give systematic answers to a follow-up question, which concerns the authority dependence of norms uh, like that. So, uh, they're showing competence with the distinction if, when asked, what if, say, the principal said it was all right to wear uh, address to school, for Billy to wear address to school, would it be wrong then? Uh, children tend to say, uh, well I guess it would be okay then. But uh, they deny that it would be okay for Billy to hit Jimmy no matter who says so. No matter if the principal says so, or the teacher, or the governor, or Prime Minister, or uh, interestingly in the study on Amish teenagers, even if God says so, it's still not okay, according to most Amish teenagers. So, offences are categorised as moral or conventional, according to psychologists called their main theorists. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not committing myself to saying that this is a good test to divide all offences into moral and conventional. Uh, but certainly I think it, it uh, picks out a, a, a core class of moral norms. They are divided as moral into moral or conventional by reference to uh, authority um, dependence. Okay, now there's evidence, or uh, there was some evidence when I first uh, waded into this debate that psychopaths are not competent with the, the moral conventional distinction. Uh, the work I used was, was work by James Blair, uh, conducted at Broadmoor Prison in the UK. He used incarcerated psychopaths and he asked his subjects whether certain offences were wrong and whether they would continue to be wrong. Um, if a relevant authority permitted them. And he got an interesting pattern of responses. Uh, he f found that his psychopaths did not make a moral conventional distinction, but uh, contrary to what you might expect, he didn't find that they thought that all offences were authority dependent. You might think that psychopaths think that uh, offences are only wrong because they're against the rules. That's not what he found. He found just the opposite. His subjects said that uh, all offences were authority independently wrong. They would continue to be wrong no matter what anyone said. That went for hitting people or stealing or wearing gender inappropriate uh, clothing or um, spitting in someone's drink or um, talking in the cinema when the lights are down and so forth. Um, now, so that's an interesting pattern of results. Blair interpreted those results in the following way and I followed him. Um, he thought that the fact that they didn't make the distinction showed they weren't able to pick out a core of um, of a, a, a set of core common moral wrongs, which he explained by the fact that psychopaths, uh, and we know this independently, uh, and Blair has done plenty of work to support himself, psychopaths have very uh, low levels of empathy for other people, so they don't see the fact that a uh, action causes a harm to others as a reason against performing it. They don't see harms as picking out 
uh, a set of moral reasons, distinctive moral reasons. He explained the fact that they claimed that all moral norms, uh, and uh, sorry, all norms were uh, authority independently wrong as caused by um, concerns with impression management. Remember these are incarcerated psychopaths. Uh, they have a motivation, Blaise speculates, to uh, appear reformed. They want uh, to communicate how ready they are for release into the community and they did this by insisting that all norms were authority independent, thereby trying to communicate how seriously they took norms. <coughs> Regard them as binding, no matter what anybody says. In any case, what was important for me was the claim that uh, psychopaths didn't have uh, moral knowledge. I claimed that this excused psychopaths, or offered them some excuse at, at, at any rate. Uh, for psychopaths, I claimed, um, all wrongs had the status for them uh, that really trivial conventional transgressions have for us. Now the reason I said that, not just conventional, but really trivial uh, uh, conventional transgressions, is the following. For us, conventional norms are backed up by what I call second-order moral norms. So there's a reason why uh, you don't double park or talk in the cinema or even you know, wear an offensive slogan on your T-shirt. There is a reason why you shouldn't do it. I don't say it's a decisive reason, but a reason to do it over and above the fact that it's against the rules. Uh, in addition to that, you know that it uh, might offend people. They may be disturbed by it. it at very least, you know, double parking uh, impairs their ability to pursue their plans and projects in the way that they, uh, they, they want to and therefore impairs their autonomy to some extent at least. You know, how significantly depends on the conditions. Uh, and those are moral wrongs. They may be relatively minor, they may not be. Uh, you can easily imagine a, a violation of a conventional norm, something that's wrong only because it's against the rules, which in fact is also a major uh, moral transgression. You know, park across the, the uh, entry ramp on the freeway. Um, so for us, conventional norms are backed up by second order moral norms, but for psychopaths, because, on the assumption that they don't have competence with moral norms, all conventional norms lack the force that many conventional norms have for us. So for them, all wrongs have the status of only the most trivial conventional norms. Or so I claimed. <coughs> all right. It was objected uh, to me by a number of people, including Blair himself, um, so you can't please some people um, that uh, well a number of things first of all the empirical basis for my claim was thin I cited the available evidence at the time uh, but there wasn't much in Blair's original study there were only 10 psychopaths so um, uh, he was getting very little variance in the data so he's easily getting significance uh, but still you, know, you, you can't you shouldn't draw very large uh, conclusions on the basis of uh, small data sets like that. And indeed, subsequent work has offered only partial support to Blair's claims. What has been found, briefly, is that psychopaths do seem to be able to draw a moral conventional distinction. If they're asked explicitly to do that, so in one uh, study they were given a set of uh, transgressions and they were told half of these are moral and half are conventional, uh, sort them into their categories and they did as well as controls on that task. But 
They can't do it by reference to harms or authority dependence. Uh, they do it in a way that seems to be more semantically mediated than that, rather than being able to do it by reference to uh, those properties. Um, further, it was objected to me that I had uh, given one uh, causal route for the acquisition of uh, moral knowledge, but there might be other causal roots of the acquisition of moral knowledge and the fact that psychopaths lack competence with one doesn't show that they don't have competence with others and um, it was pointed out that harm is, is not central to morality on all accounts of morality and indeed there are accounts of morality which make authority dependent, central to morality there's divine command theories of morality uh, so it's question begging unless you've got a a, um, a good um, argument against divine command theories of morality. It's question begging to uh, assert that because psychopaths uh, understand moral norms as authority dependent, <coughs> assuming that's what they understand them as, therefore they don't have competence uh, with moral norms. All right. So what I want to do now is rather than attempt to reply to those objections, although I do think there are replies available, I want to try to avoid them and instead focus on the content of psychopaths' intentions in acting. I'm going to argue that their intentions lack the right kind of content to underwrite attributions of moral responsibility. First, though, I want to offer an account of their performance on the moral conventional task, indeed of everybody's performance on the moral conventional task, which is somewhat deflationary, because offering this account is going to enable me to make some moves um, which will enable me to uh, infer what the content of psychopaths' intentions in acting are. In particular, infer what uh, has come to be known in the moral responsibility literature recently as the quality of their will uh, is. Um, okay, so now I want to explain the performance on the moral conventional task. I claim that performance on that task is simply a manifestation of conceptual competence of the kind that's been um, well studied recently in the philosophical literature on imaginative resistance. So for, for connoisseurs, there was this fad for imaginative resistance a few years ago. Philosophy is a, a fad driven subject and for a while uh, people, all the cool kids got really interested in imaginative resistance for reasons that I'm not entirely sure about. Um, it's a kind of interesting puzzle. I don't know why all the metaphysicians and epistemologists suddenly thought it was really important. Here's the, what the puzzle of imaginative resistance is. Um, it's a puzzle about uh, the authority of fiction writers uh, or fiction producers. So the puzzle is this. There's a pattern to what fiction writers can get away with. There's a puzzle, there's a puzzling pattern to what um, we will allow them uh, to get away with. They can say all kinds of weird stuff and we go along with it. But some stuff, which in some ways doesn't look that weird, we just put our foot down uh, were they to say it. They don't say it because they, they know that they can't get away with it. We just won't accept that it's true. That is to say, we won't accept that it's true in the fiction. Uh, we're talking about fiction, so we're not talking about what's true of the world. We're, we're talking about truth in fiction. So um, J.K. Rowling can say all kinds of crazy stuff, and we say fine. She can say Harry Potter can fly on a broom, and we say fine. In the world of the books and the films, Harry Potter can fly on a broom. That's okay. 
she can say he can violate the laws of physics in various ways. So there's time travel in the Harry Potter books, and maybe that's a violation of the laws of physics. It certainly um, appears to be a violation of uh, causality as we experience it. And we say, fine, he can travel back in time. Actually, I'm not sure he travels back in time. I can't remember. Somebody travels back in time. Um, and we go along with it. But there are certain things that she can't say. So here's something she can't say. She can't say, Lord Voldemort, that's the, the evil guy, Lord Voldemort tortures an innocent child to death and it's the morally right thing to do. We say, no, that's not true. It's not even true in the books. He could believe it's the morally right thing to do because after all he's this warped guy. But it isn't the morally right thing to do. We don't allow um, that that could be the case. Um, and that's kind of puzzling, if you think about it, because why can all kind of weird stuff be true in the book, but not that particular uh, weird claim? Why no deviant morality in the book? Here's the view I accept, roughly. Certain concepts are taken by us, I want to avoid claims about what concepts actually are. And in fact, I don't think concepts are sets of necessary and sufficient conditions. But implicitly, certain concepts are, at least for some uh, purposes, taken for us uh, to have either necessary or sufficient conditions. They may not have both, but one or the other. Such that... When it's stipulated that a set of facts uh, uh, pertains, we believe that the concept pertains. Or when those facts pertain, the concept doesn't pertain. So we tell you either that set of facts is sufficient for a concept, or that set of facts lacks a fact which is necessary for the concept. Now, again, I'm not making any claims about what concept possession actually is. I'm just saying that's how we operate. Um, and you get imaginative resistance when somebody either stipulates a set of facts obtains and then says uh, a, a concept for which that set of facts is taken by us to be sufficient, doesn't obtain. So, hang on, that's just a kind of contradiction. Uh, or, when they say that a, uh, a set of facts which doesn't include a necessary condition for a concept pertains, but the concept does obtain, we say, hang on, that's a kind of contradiction. We give fiction authors the right to stipulate what set of facts obtain. But we don't give them the right to stipulate what set of concepts obtain, given those facts. So if you say um, Harry drew a geometrical figure on the board, it had uh, four sides, it was an enclosed figure, uh, and uh, each of its angles was uh, 90 degrees, and it was a circle. So hang on, that's not what a circle is. You've just given us a set of uh, necessary conditions for, or sufficient conditions for some kind of rectilinear, rectilinear figure, not a circle. That's all the measurative uh, resistance is, I claim. And that's all that's going on in uh, imaginative resistance. You get in, uh, sorry, in the moral conventional task. When a concept is taken by us, as obtaining in virtue of a set of facts which doesn't include anyone's further say-so. The say-so might be obtained to the, what facts obtains. I say that these facts obtain. Uh, then we deny that their say-so can vary whether the concept obtains. All we need to know is the first-order facts. The further say-so, but that's not a moral wrong, that is a moral wrong, is simply irrelevant to whether it applies or not, unless it's a conventional wrong, where a conventional wrong is a wrong which includes, uh, among the set of facts that make it true, among its supervenience base, uh, somebody says so, a relevant authority says so. So, 
<clears throat> psychopaths don't get moral norms, I claim, because they don't understand that harms to persons are sufficient for the obtaining of certain core moral concepts. At least they're taken by us to be sufficient for the obtaining of core moral concepts. Lacking um, a, a understanding of harms to others as picking out a distinctive set of facts as, which we do in virtue presumably of uh, our empathy for others since that seems to be the neuropsychological the prime neuropsychological difference between us and psychopaths lacking that capacity they don't uh, see that the moral concepts apply in virtue of those facts so it's unsurprising I think that they can have preserved semantic knowledge about uh, whether uh, offences are treated as conventional or moral but that they lack the competence to sort uh, concepts into conventional and moral wrongs by reference to those criteria they have preserved semantic knowledge but I think that's good grounds for thinking they lack moral knowledge. But it's not the lack of moral knowledge I'm trying to insist on here. After all, you might think, this is what Blair said in reply to me, well, stuff moral knowledge. We don't need to know about moral knowledge in order to blame psychopaths. They know what the rules are. And semantic knowledge is enough for that. And I want to be able to uh, reply to that as well. Okay, so it's this point that I turn to asking about the content of their intentions. So here, an aside, a little bit of stage setting um, on an account of moral responsibility, um, which I'm not sure I buy fully, but I think it's at least um, allows us to get a grip on conditions for moral responsibility. So, reactive attitudes are responses to wrongdoing by others might usefully be thought of as responses to the quality of will that others exhibit in their acting. And, and there's been a lot of recent work along uh, these lines recently, most uh, recently and I think illuminated in Michael McKenna's recent book. Uh, to think about three different ways in which I might push someone over and the quality of will I would exhibit in doing so and the kinds of reactions to me that would be licensed. So, Here's case one. I push Bennett over, and I push Bennett over because I like to see people suffer. Um, in that case, I exhibit contempt for his welfare, uh, perhaps contempt for the moral norms. And in doing so, I exhibit a really bad quality of will. Um, it's worth pointing out, by the way, that psychopaths are not sadists. Unsurprisingly, psychopaths are not sadists. It's unsurprising because in order to be a sadist, you seem to need to be able to take pleasure in other people's suffering. And in order to be able to take pleasure in other people's suffering, you need to be able to get a better grip on what suffering is for others than psychopaths seem capable of. So that's one way I might exhibit a really bad quality of will, by showing contempt for morality or for moral norms or for the well-being of others. Here's a second way in which I might exhibit a bad, but not quite so bad, quality of will. I might push Bennett over, not because I want to see him suffer, but simply because I don't care whether he suffers or not. It might seem to be more akin uh, to the psychopath's case. It might seem. In that case, I'm not exhibiting contempt for his welfare. I'm not quite exhibiting... Um, contempt for moral norms, but I'm exhibiting indifference to moral norms, which we think ought to weigh heavily with me. So that seems sufficient for a fair amount of blame. 
But in a third case, in which I exhibit neither indifference for uh, Bennett's welfare nor for moral norms, I don't seem to be blameworthy at all because of the quality of will that I exhibit in acting. So suppose I push him over because I just failed to see him. And I'm not, we assume I'm not culpable for failing to see him. Um, I haven't taken his uh, welfare and set it aside. That's not a reason against acting. I just haven't seen that my action is going to uh, bear on his welfare at all. And of course you can make exactly the same claim with regard to my attitude towards moral norms. I haven't uh, acted despite seeing I'm violating a moral norm. I've acted without realizing my action violates a moral norm. In that case, um, I'm excused. I might, on the other hand, be justified rather than excused. And that's in a case in which I do know I'm going to uh, impair his welfare or uh, violate a moral norm, but I take myself uh, to have very good reason to do it. Suppose. Uh, it's the only way I can prevent a child falling onto the train tracks, something like that. And in that case, I'd be justified. And again, I haven't shown a lack of regard for his welfare. I've taken his welfare into account and decided, regretfully, that harming him is justified uh, on the grounds that the, the, the moral calculus uh, just plays out like that. Now, I claim that the failure of other people's welfare to figure at all in psychopaths' uh, calculations, which is the result of the fact that they can't take harm to others uh, in the distinctive sense as constituting a distinctive kind of reason not to act, entails that their actions don't exhibit a kind, even a kind of uh, very blameworthy indifference to morality. So whereas in the second case I imagined, I didn't care that, I knew that, but didn't care that I was um, um, impairing Bennett's welfare, when the psychopath acts, um, they don't know in the sense in which I'm claiming that I know that they are causing a distinctive kind of moral uh, wrong. And therefore, they're not even setting that aside as a reason for acting. Um, they're not acting despite knowing how this impairs uh, their uh, the victim's autonomy or capacity to uh, pursue plans or their capacity simply to be free from uh, suffering. Their failure to empathize with others revealed in their performance on the moral conventional task, but also revealed on a, a, a variety of standard neuropsychological tests, as well as in their behavior more generally, um, is indicative of a failure to understand in the way in which their actions cause a kind of, a special and distinctive kind of harm. And for that reason, they don't even set that aside as a reason against acting. All right. Very quickly, I want to bolster this conclusion now by arguing that they don't even in uh, intend a certain central kind of harm for which we tend to blame others. And that is a harm to persons. Um, so personhood here is this philosophical term of art. By personhood, I don't mean uh, human beings. I mean what people like uh, Singer and um, um, uh, Turley um, call persons. A person is a being who conceives centrally, a being who conceives of themselves as a single being across time with plans and projects that they pursue. Uh, so people like Singer and Thule think that this gives us central reasons against killing persons which are quite distinctively stronger than reasons against killing non-human animals, at least non-person, non-human animals, because there may be non-human animals that are also persons. That's controversial. 
Um, why? Because if you kill a what's uh, non-controversially a non-person, say a chicken, uh, and do so painlessly, you don't interrupt its plans and projects, you don't put an end to its ability to uh, impose a shape on its own life, because it doesn't have the capacity to pursue plans and projects across time, it doesn't think of itself as a single being across time, it doesn't have plans and projects in that kind of sense. Um, so killing a person is distinctively wrong, but harming a person is distinctively wrong too, only persons have autonomy in the sense of a, a diachronic projects across time, which I think I've defended elsewhere, is what autonomy is, is most centrally consists in. Now, personhood requires a set of psychological capacities. Uh, among other things, and centrally, it requires capacities for what uh, psychologists sometimes call mental time travel. Uh, where mental time travel is the capacity to imagine, imaginatively project yourself into the past and, to, and the present. Mental time travel to the past is uh, episodic memory. Memory of events as occurring uh, to you, autobiographical memory. Uh, mental time travel to the future is what psychologists sometimes call prospection. It's imaginatively uh, um, recreating in your mind, sorry, creating or recreating in your mind, uh, representations of what it will or would be like were you to do certain things. It might be, you know, pass your degree or write your book or uh, propose to... Uh, your potential spouse or whatever it might be. Now, um, it turns out that mental time travel is a unified capacity in the sense that it depends on a single set of neurological, uh, neuropsychological uh, states, sometimes called the default network because it's what you see in the scanner when you're not doing, when you're not asking your subjects to do anything else. When you're daydreaming, uh, you're not engaging in any task, you tend to be uh, engaged in first personal thought, which is mental time travel. You're recalling things that happen to you or you're imagining things that might happen to you. So it turns out that this, the so-called default network is the mental time travel uh, network. It, that entails that a uh, deficit in one capacity, episodic memory, will predict a, a deficit in the other capacity, perspection. And that turns out to be true. Uh, unsurprisingly, people who have uh, memory deficits tend to have correlative, not tend to, so far as we know, do have correlative perspection uh, deficits, which also, by the way, predicts <coughs> that perspection is going to be broken down into categories in the same way as memory is, many different kinds of memory, although that's much less well studied. Um, so it's important to me that psychopaths have memory deficits as measured in a variety of ways. Uh, they have impoverished first-person narratives. Um, they don't produce much autobiographical detail. They have impoverished performance on recollection tests. Uh, normals are stunningly good at recollection tests. Stunningly. You can give people thousands of items to, to recall and they do very well on a test of Did you, was this one in the set you saw earlier or not. Um, incredibly good at that. Psychopaths are quite good, but nowhere near as good. Um, it's also important to me that uh, psychopaths have prospection failures. Um, they have, again, this comes out in their uh, first-person reports. It comes out in lack of realistic goals. Here's one of Hare's uh, subjects. Asked what he wanted to do upon release from prison. He was coming up for a release, can't you? Uh, quite shortly, he said he was going to be a chef and a surgeon and a pilot. Um, he had no training for any of those, uh, those um, professions. Someone of apparently normal uh, intelligence, just not apparently aware of how unrealistic this is. And psychopaths tend to have unrealistic plans and they tend to have 
uh, inability to follow through with their plans. Again, suggestive of um, difficulties with perspective. It's been suggested that uh, mental time travel to the future developed for um, self-control. Uh, the idea is uh, it's 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 hard to delay gratification. Human beings are better at it than some animals, but nevertheless they have problems with it. Uh, mental time travel prospection enables you to overcome that to some extent uh, by making some of the rewards uh, that towards which you're working available now. Some kind of like simulacrum of those rewards. So I can imagine what it would be like to have finished my book and that gives me some uh, of the satisfactions, only obviously a pale imitation, but some of the satisfactions I uh, will get from completing my book and that enables me to defer gratification better. Uh, it's perhaps Unsurprisingly, given their problems with uh, prospection, uh, psychopaths are highly impulsive. They have very great difficulties in following through in plans. One psychologist says um, they seem unable to inhibit even the most fleeting and slightest of impulses. So all of that suggests a deficit with regard to personhood. Now, you might argue Psychopaths are not fully persons, and for that reason, aren't fully morally responsible. And that would be an interesting line of argument. It's not the argument I'm, I'm, I'm putting here. Instead, what I want to argue is that psychopaths can't intend fully harm two persons. Um, failing to have a capacity with the concepts which are required for personhood entails that when acting they don't understand that they're, in, uh, they're impairing people's autonomy uh, which is sent with, with autonomy being a capacity that only persons have in a full-blown sense. They don't understand that they are impairing that uh, uh, autonomy in the same way as non-psychopathic criminals um, uh, do. And I think this makes sense of some of their observed um, apparent callousness. You know, it's not simply lack of empathy, which we see in self-reports. So here's some of them. Uh, this is all from Hare's volume. Uh, one psychopath says of a man he killed, well, I guess he learned a valuable lesson about life. That's more than a lack of empathy. Again, remember, normal intelligence um, it's not simply lack of empathy, I don't, it's lack of empathy too, which you see in the psychopath who says of, a, a, uh, of elderly women he conned out of their life savings, well I don't really see what their problem is because they got their money's worth from me. Um, and it's not lack of empathy which leads one psychopath uh, to say uh, of uh, a, a woman he raped, well, I guess she was scared, but you know, I've been scared, and it's not really unpleasant. It's not lack of empathy that uh, leads one of, of her psychopaths to say, I don't really see the difference between standing on a bike and killing a person, you know. Um, so I claim that they can't e intend harm to persons, at least not in a full-blown sense. I don't think that we, I think it would be going too far to say that they, they lack capacity for uh, personhood entirely. But nevertheless, they have problems with personhood, and therefore I think they, that their intentions um, or the quality of will they exhibit in acting um, lacks the kind of full-blown. Uh, harm to personhood that would uh, underwrite full-blown attributions of moral responsibility. And I think that they can't intend harms to others in the kind of way that would underwrite full-blown uh, moral responsibility for reasons to do with their competence with core moral norms. Okay, some quick caveats. Some people, Hare himself, who's represents himself as the world's leading expert on psychopaths. I won't say anything more, he's very litigious. Um, 
Hare himself believes that there is a class of high-functioning psychopaths who don't have deficits with regard to mental time travel. It's not how he would put it, but nevertheless, his account of high-functioning psychopaths entails that they don't have much in the way of planning deficits. These are so-called snakes in suits, uh, psychopaths in a corporate environment. Uh, now, I'm somewhat sceptical <coughs> that there are snakes in suits, but I, um, I'm only somewhat sceptical, and um, I certainly have no knockdown evidence against the claim. So I want to qualify the claim by saying that to the uh, extent to which psychopaths have problems with the capacity of personhood, which will be revealed by uh, deficits with regard to mental time travel and therefore deficits with regard to uh, uh, planning for themselves, to the extent they have deficits uh, with regard to that capacity, their intentions will be will have a, 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 um, a content which is somewhat less blameworthy and therefore they'll be less uh, blameworthy for their actions. Uh, more generally, psychopathy is probably not what psych psychologists call a taxon, a nice neat uh, category into which people either fall or fail to fall. It's probably a continuum. Indeed, it's, it, it may be better thought of as two continua because there are two relatively independent and somewhat dissociable factors which load on psychopathy uh, and we should say that to the extent to which psychopaths have the correlative deficits which are factor one deficits deficits with empathy which predicts an incapacity with moral norms to that extent they're able to avail themselves of that excuse Taken together, however, I think we're going to find that a large number of people who meet the diagnostic criteria for psychopathy, taken together these two different accounts, one about moral norms, the other personhood, entail that they're going to have their moral responsibility significantly reduced. And I think that, in fact, most of them will be able to uh, avail themselves uh, of the factor one explanation, at very least, thereby greatly mitigating their moral responsibility. Thank you.